Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. On Good Friday, uh, we ask the uh, children to think about if they thought Jesus was afraid as he um, approached the cross. And then we ask them to identify what some of their fears were and write them on scraps of paper and leave them in a bowl. Um, I grabbed that bowl because I just was curious about what the kids in our church are afraid of. And... Uh, and, you know, the, at first, the, the ones I pulled out at first, I, I expected it. I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of nightmares. Uh, I'm scared of the dark. Um, and so there was that. Um, but then it, it, their fears got a little more, I don't know, I, I'm afraid my mom and dad are going to get a divorce. I'm afraid I'm going to be kidnapped or lost. Uh, I'm scared someone will shoot me, uh, this child wrote. Um, I, I'm scared about going on a boat and sinking. I'm scared about getting on a plane. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm afraid of death. I'm, f- I'm afraid that someone I know will die a painful death. Uh, I'm scared about losing my family or them dying. Or when my mom and dad leave on a plane, it scares me. Or um, I, I, I'm worried to lose uh, someone I love, that they will be lost forever. Uh, it really is sobering to read some of the feelings our kids are dealing with every day. You know, every generation has to deal with um, their own set of fears. For my parents' generation, it was uh, the Great Depression and wondering if dad was going to be able to get a steady job. And then uh, it was the, the thought of saying goodbye to an older brother or an uncle or, a, or their own dad as they went off to fight World War II, not knowing if they would come home. Um, and then for my generation, it was, they added to the fire drills at school, we had nuclear attack drills. And if you're my age, you remember crawling down under your desk, as if being under your desk <laughs> was somehow... Uh, and then my grandchildren uh, have walked me through their uh, live shooter drills that they have at school. Code words that come over the intercom. It is a crazy world. Uh, there are so many dangers we just cannot control, so many real things to be uh, afraid of. So consequently, this series on fear, and as I prepared for this series on fear, it's caused me to ask myself, what am I afraid of? If the Holy Spirit is coaching me like he's coaching you to press through your fear, what exactly are the fears that he's addressing? 
So when I first asked myself that question, it was a few weeks ago when I was working on this, I could, you know, probably two or three things I'm afraid of. I, but the more I've thought about it, uh, I've discovered something about myself. I'm scared of a lot of stuff. Uh, and, and I put them into categories. Some things just give me kind of a nagging sense of anxiety, and some things terrify me. Uh, you know, I, I feel anxious about my loved ones who are dealing with health issues. I, uh, I feel anxious uh, sometimes about money, and it, especially lately. Brenda and I bought a fixer-upper, and it seems like every time I turn around, we're dumping more money into it, and I'm thinking, when does it end, you know? And is this money we should be saving for the future? So that kind of bothers me, and... But then I'm terrified about other things. Uh, one thing that absolutely terrifies me, I'll be honest, is I'm the pastor in a, a, a church where, you know, places of worship used to be safe. And that just terrifies me that it's, you know, there's not necessarily safe anymore around here. So welcome to church. Uh, <laughs> glad you're here. Just relax. But it is an interesting thought, you know, what, and, and I want you to think about yourself before we enter into today's study, I want you to actually identify a, a, a fear in your life. What in your life is making you anxious? Think. What's making you anxious? And then what just terrifies you? Have you got it? Are you thinking? Or are you just waiting for me to start talking again? What in your life has you feeling anxious? What thing is it that you can't control that you, that's there? All right, so let's enter into the scripture. Our Bible story today is out of the book of Judges, chapter six, about a young man who was uh, terrified. Uh, uh, It's a familiar story to many of you. It's a story of Gideon, but some of you Those of you that uh, Cornerstone is your first church, this really may be the first time you've even heard about this guy, a young man whose country who is is being harassed by a formidable enemy. Gideon is an Israelite. The enemy is the Midianites, a tough, ferocious group. They were bullies. They didn't actually produce anything, the Midianites. Uh, They just stole whatever you produced, They were just across the Jordan River where after the harvest they would come galloping across with camels and just uh, even just them approaching would create a dust storm and scare you to death. And the Israelites, you know, at this point weren't fighting. They would just run for the hills and let the Midianites take whatever they were going to take. And the Israelites would live up in these caves until the Midianites retreated back across uh, the Jordan. And as our story opens, just across the Jordan there are 135,000 Midianite soldiers watching and waiting for their next opportunity. So Gideon is going on with life, and he's threshing wheat, uh, but not in the usual place where you would thresh wheat. Now, because we're not, very many of us are agricultural in nature, we don't really do a lot of threshing. How many of you were doing some threshing this week? Uh, You might not even know what that is. Uh, Threshing wheat is where you you harvest the the wheat stalks, and you get everything there in a pile, and then you take a large pitchfork and you throw everything up into the breeze. And then what happens is that light breeze pushes the lighter stuff away, and that's the chaff, and down in front of you falls the grain. You have a pile of grain. You do that a few times until 
you got a nice pile of, of grain. That's threshing, and the best place to do it is on top of a flat hill. But here's the problem. If the Midianites are watching you do that, you can't do that on top of a hill because they're just going to wait for you to do all the hard work and they're going to swoop down and take your grain. So Gideon is threshing wheat down in a hidden area. He's actually in a large, dry wine vat where he won't be noticed. It's much harder work down there because there's no breeze. So you just throw it up and it comes right back down. You throw it up and it comes right back down. But at the end of the day, you're going you're gonna to get some grain separated and, and, uh, and, and you're going to take that, that home. So Gideon is like any of us who've adapted to situations and circumstances that are not ideal because of some kind of a real or perceived threat. And after a while, that, that, that anxiety that just kind of grinds in the back of our minds becomes our new normal as we get done what has to be done, hunkered down in the survival mode, wishing that someone would deal with this thing. What Gideon doesn't know is that he is that someone. If you've had time to get to Judges chapter six, go down and look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joas the Abarishrite, I think I said that wrong, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. All right, let's just stop right there for a moment because you need to know about this being the Bible refers to as the angel of the Lord. If you study the Old Testament very much, you'll see this, this, this angel of the Lord appear several times to several characters. And Bible scholars, they, they, they talk about who this angel of the Lord is because it's not just an angel because it, it's different. It's a different identity. And they think that the angel of the Lord is some kind of a, of a physical manifestation of God in the Old Testament. So let's assume that that's true, that these scholars are right. So it's really God appearing to Gideon. And what, is it, what does God say to him? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, I don't know how you would respond if this same thing happened to you, but I'm pretty sure you wouldn't say what Gideon said because he just starts arguing. Oh, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us, right. Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm down in this wine vat doing what I could be doing on the top of a hill. The Lord is with us. Why is all this happening to us? As far as I can see, the Lord has abandoned us because he's definitely not helping us. And you may already begin to identify with Gideon's feeling that you have this situation and you've asked God for help and he hasn't helped you. Uh, and so that has begun to limit your scope and view of God himself so that when he finally does show up and start speaking to you about the situation, you can't even hear his voice because the problem has become this loud white noise that drowns everything else out. But God presses the point. Uh, I'm with you, he says. I, 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 you're a mighty warrior. And Gideon argues, no, you are not with me. And no, I am not a mighty warrior. But the Lord is unfazed by Gideon's, Gideon's faithless response, almost as if God is ignoring it entirely. Go, God says, in the strength that you already have and deliver Israel. Am I not sending you? How exactly would you expect me to, to do that? You don't seem to know who you're talking to. My family is the least in my tribe, and I'm the baby of the family. 
It's not gonna happen. Don't get me wrong. I would cheer anyone on who would take on this enemy, uh, who would fight back against these bullies, but it's not gonna be anyone in my family, and it's definitely not going to be me. And with that statement, a bunch more of us begin to relate to this guy because it's not that Gideon doesn't fully recognize the problem. He just doesn't see how he could be part of the solution. Gideon feels like so many of us feel. He doesn't feel up to the challenge that's out there, so he gives himself permission to take a pass. He just doesn't feel ready. He just doesn't feel strong. He just doesn't feel talented. He just doesn't feel significant. I'm just not up for this, he says. I'm not enough. And honestly, we know that a lot of you feel this way because we see the look on your face when we tell you to step up and step into more serving, more ministry, more witnessing, more uh, being a public Christian instead of such a private one. We, we, we say, hey, how about leading a community group in your home? And you're like, oh, I'm not ready. Ah. How about driving the junior hires to Hume Lake? Ah, oh, I'm not ready. Now, I get that one. <laughs> but whatever God is challenging you with, you just don't feel qualified. You don't know enough. You don't have enough confidence. That's Gideon. Gideon didn't feel like he was enough. And the, the truth is, he wasn't. But God wanted to show him the same thing that God wants to show you, and it's the theme of today. If you get nothing else out of this, get this. God is enough. God is enough. And he wants to prove himself to you that he can become your enough to press you to step into fear by faith. That, that when God chose you, he didn't make a mistake. And when God called you to a task, he knows, he knows exactly who he's talking to. And he, when he challenges you to lead and you argue that you might fail, he pushes back. How could you fail? I'm with you and I'm enough. Now last weekend, we learned the first principle of dealing with our fear. It is in recognizing that the Lord is with us. Say that with me. The Lord is with you. Were you with us last weekend? talked about Moses. He's arguing with God at the burning bush. And God is telling him, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to confront Pharaoh. I want you to deliver the Israelites. That's all I need you to do. And Moses is like, I can't do that. Sure you can, God says. I will be with you. Last weekend we learned the number one principle for attacking our fear is found in going toward the threat, stepping through the fear in the belief that God is stepping through the fear with us. He's here with us and he's on the other side of the fear and yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death as I'm walking through the fearful thing, God is with me and that's what comforts us. All right, so you got it. The number one principle for attacking our fear is what? Let's start over. The number one principle is God is thank you. Picture that child that we talked about at the beginning of the, you know, she's writing the scrap of paper. I'm scared of the dark. I'm scared of my nightmares. I'm scared. You know, and she goes to bed every night. The lights go out. And immediately, uh, the shadows start playing tricks on her already fearful mind. She's a self-fulfilling prophecy. She knows it's going to happen. She cries out and mommy, daddy. And in comes mommy. Dad's already snoring. In comes mommy. 
with comfort and reassurance. She checks under the bed again. She checks the closet again. No monsters. But she lays down beside that child and says, I'm right here. And soon that little girl is sound asleep, resting peacefully. Why? Because mommy is right there with her. Now, as we get older, the imaginary monsters become real ones. And uh, we know there are forces beyond our control. But the truth remains, if my heavenly father is with me, see, that's the issue. If he's right here with me, will I or will I not be okay? That's the number one principle of working through fear is I will be okay. Now, today's the number two principle of attacking our fear and reducing its power over us. That's what we're trying to do, is reduce the power that fear has on us. In Gideon's story, we're gonna learn this because not only is God with us, here's the second one, God sees us. God sees us. And the us he sees is different than the us we see. Think about this. Gideon sees himself as the youngest brother in the weakest family in the tribe. God sees him as a mighty warrior. Neither one of them are wrong. It's just that Gideon's assessment is incomplete. He is the youngest. His family is pretty wimpy. But those facts represent Gideon's present reality, not his future. What God sees is future Gideon. That's what God is calling out in him. It's the part of Gideon that even Gideon cannot see. What's interesting to me about God is he doesn't waste time trying to prop up Gideon's self-esteem. Good job, buddy. Good job. You can do it. You can do it. No, God doesn't do any of that. He knows Gideon can't do it. That's why there's a God. Gideon's sufficiency is not the issue. I am with you, God says, and I am enough. Say it with me. God is enough. If Gid can believe that God is enough, he will stop believing his fears and he will become a different person. The man he was created to be, a person who will be hardly recognizable to his family or childhood friends. But Gideon doesn't know this God yet. God is gonna have to redefine himself to this young man because Gideon's God is much too small. Think about it, and you'll, you'll figure out as you read the story, Gideon's family has, has, has given up on worshiping Yahweh. So they've picked these other Canaanite gods. They're worshiping Baal and Asherah. And these are small g gods. These small g gods, whether you're talking about Canaanite gods, Greek gods, Roman gods, when you really look at them, they're just bigger versions of human beings. They have flaws and foibles and, and insecurities and fears. They get angry and do mean things. They get happy and do dumb things. Um, you have to convince them every year to wake up. I mean, the, 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 the Canaanite gods are like teenagers on a school day. You have to make sacrifices to wake them up. Smell the bacon down here, honey. But God is much more than a, just a bigger version of me. Mathematician philosopher Blaise Pascal wrote, God made man in his own image and man returned the compliment. We don't really know God. We often make him out to be just, you know, God. Sometimes our, we limit God in our view by projecting our own self 
upon him. Gideon feels deeply inadequate, therefore God must be inadequate. Gideon hasn't come through, therefore God will not come through. He doesn't know how different God is than him. And how could he? He's never experienced God. Educators tell us that many of us develop our relationship with God in our formative childhood years. And if your parents have a small view of God, you probably will too. Gideon is raised by Jewish parents who've compromised in idolatry. As we will soon see, Joash has even raised idols on his own property to these gods. So Gideon really is starting from scratch as he sits in the shade of these idols and the Lord appears to him and speaks to him. And for the first time, Gideon is going to experience Experience God. And many of you relate because many of you experienced God for the first time as an adult. You weren't raised by a mommy and daddy that prayed before every meal. So when God's going to come and meet your greatest need, his number one challenge is not in meeting that need. His number one challenge is in convincing you that he can meet that need. If the, the, the convincing you that he is Enough. Some of us are sitting around waiting for God to make us fearless. The Bible never promises that God will make you fearless. God wants to make you brave. Bravery is and courage comes in the face of fear. Ask anyone who has pressed through their fear and gotten to the other side and accomplished something great. They'll tell you, no, I was always afraid. I was never fearless. You'll always have to press through fear. You'll never be fearless. And if the devil knows that fear can stop you, he'll just keep scaring you. If you're ever gonna take your next step into your life purpose, you're gonna have to decide to push back and then push back on fear. Believing that God is right there, making you brave. There's a phrase in scripture that's just as beautiful as fear not or fernint. No, we don't waste vowels around here. You can't just waste vowels willy-nilly. Fernt. <laughs> Sorry. Where was I? Oh, there's a phrase that's, that's better than fear not. Or not. It's, it's, fear not's awesome, but there's another one in the Bible. Take courage, it says in the Bible. Take courage. I love that one. As if courage is right there for me to just reach out and take some. Fear of failing, take courage. Fear of what others will think, take courage. Fear of losing those I love, take courage. Fear of tragedy, take courage. Fear of my health failing, take courage. Fear of being vulnerable, take courage. What's fascinating is so many of our fears are fears about things that aren't even gonna happen. But since we don't know what is and isn't gonna happen, we just cover all the bases. We're scared of everything. If I could pluck all of my fears out of the darkness and force them to stand in front of me in the light, uh, the things I fear most would reveal to be mainly in my own mind. I mean, yes, they are real things that could happen. I just don't know if they will happen. But in my own mind, they are real, so I struggle to think my way out of not thinking about them. So what I do is I stop thinking about them entirely and I just start thinking, God is with me, God is for me, God sees me, God is right here. But I wouldn't have done that had he not entered into a conversation with me at a certain point in my life um, and, and decided what I've decided for you. I made a decision for you 
when we, before we started this series, and we, we sat down with Cornerstone leaders, campus pastors, preachers, and we said, our congregation is too fearful. And we're never gonna get done what needs to be done in the East Bay if we're as fearful as the people in the East Bay. The God we serve is a big God, so we ought to take courage with that. Therefore, we're just gonna decide that we are not going to be a fearful tribe. Are you with me on this? We're just not gonna be fearful. You're like, well, what, you can just decide that? Yes! We're gonna identify our fears and call them out for what they are and then call out to a God who's greater than those fears and expect him to do something. Friends, we have a God who's that big. So I say, if that God says, fear not, I'm gonna fear not. If God says, take courage, I'm gonna take some. It's time to allow God to speak to us with results in mind. And the result is, he's trying to redefine us by allowing us to deal with fearful things and then he's renaming us as mighty warriors, people who press through the fears. God has a plan for you, but you're never gonna accomplish that plan if you're so fearful. He's wanting you to live in courage. He's wanting you to live as if he is with you, to live as if he sees you, as to live as if he's enough. I ask you, are you willing to decide today that God is enough? Are you? Or do you prefer this other way? All right, back to the story. Gideon says to this mysterious stranger, where are my manners? I'm a Middle Eastern man. I can't believe I haven't offered you something to eat. And he leaves the Lord sitting under a tree and he goes and prepares a meal. Now back then to prepare a meal starts with killing something. It's not like you go and you know, put a, a, some, some, you know, something in a microwave. He's gone for hours. And the Lord's like, you know, hearing the Jeopardy music, just waiting, you know. Um, he's probably doing stuff. I don't know. But he waits. And this is what I love about God. We serve a God who waits for us sometimes to do the wrong thing to try to please him. And he's just so gracious because he sees our heart. Gideon's being a good guy. I gotta make you a meal. So he comes and he brings a meal to the stranger. The stranger sits there and the Lord does something. Instead of eating the meal, because God's not really hungry, he takes his staff that he's holding and he reaches out and just touches the food and poof, fire comes up out of the stone and consumes the meal. You're like, oh, you wanted it medium well. Uh, <laughs> the meal's gone and then God vanishes. And with that, Gideon realizes who exactly he's been talking to, but that doesn't comfort him either. This guy always goes towards the negative. You, look at, well, you'll have to see it because I'm telling the story versus reading it, so I don't actually know the verse. But right when God does that, Gideon goes, oh no, I've seen God. Now I'm gonna die. <laughs> and it says the, he could hear the Lord's voice now and the Lord who was still near spoke to him. Settle down, you're not gonna die. I have some stuff I want you to do. That night the Lord spoke again. Tear down your father's shrines to the Canaanite gods. Your family is weak because of the compromise of idolatry. I'm calling you the baby of the family to clean house. Use the wood from the demolished idols for firewood and take two of your father's bulls and sacrifice them on the altar. Ready, go. Now what's fascinating is because Gideon has experienced God now, he just does it. But he's so afraid of his idol-worshiping community, he does it at night. 
all right, he still does it. And these guys were heavy sleepers because this is a noisy thing he does. But from this point far, forward, you will see Gideon become more and more brave. And, 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 and that's because he's experienced God. And this is what we are wanting for you as well during this series. We're gonna talk to you about your fear, but the, the number one way you're gonna overcome your fear is by experiencing God. And talking to some of you, some of you haven't experienced him yet. Some of you can't take me to a place and a time when you said, I experienced God. Friends, I can take you to a summer camp in Cedar Edge, Colorado, and a, 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 a chapel, they call it a tabernacle for some reason, and it's sawdust there on the floor, and kicking the sawdust on the floor, and all of a sudden, I'm listening to the speaker, and I'm zoned in, and next thing you know, there's a tear coming down. I don't know why I'm reacting emotionally to what this guy's saying, and I'm experiencing God. I can take you to a tree in Santa Cruz where I used to sit under this tree and just talk to God. And next thing I knew, it was afternoon. I was experiencing God. I can take you to a cornfield in Mexico where I experienced God in a conversation I had with him. Do you have those? Because if you don't, that's what we want for you. We don't wanna try to talk you into fearing a little bit less. We wanna talk you into experiencing God so that you'll be brave and courageous. You need to experience God. And if you can't relate to what I'm saying, then, then that's where we start. Pursue an experience with God or just sit still because he'll come at you. And when he comes at you, don't be afraid. He wants to talk to you. He wants to save you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to change you. He wants to fill you with his Holy Spirit so you will be fearless. Oh, wait, I told you you can't be fearless. So you will be brave, courageous. And then God will have things for you to do that will require bravery. The first thing that God had Gideon do that required bravery was to tear down his father's idols and sacrifice two of his father's bulls to the real God. This was Gideon's first sacrifice. This was part of his inheritance, by the way. And it wasn't, gonna, you know, his dad was still alive, so he's gonna, there's gonna be a price to pay here. Now, everyone wakes up the next day, and they're like, who did this? And somebody ratted Gideon out, but then when they came to the door to get Gideon, because they're gonna, they're gonna execute him to sacrifice him, because so, they think that the, the Baal and Asherah are mad, the dad says, no, you can't have him. If those gods are mad at my son, let them deal with him. Now, I love that response, because the dad is He's basically saying, my son is now leading our family. He did what I should have done years ago. So let's see how this plays out. Dad admires his son's bravery. Now for Gideon, for so many of us, if we look into it, some of our fears and some of the behaviors uh, that are attached to our fears were passed down to us. We think the way we do because that's how our parents thought. And in order to move out of dysfunctional anxiety, somebody has to talk us into drawing a line in the sand and saying, listen, this thing that my parents and grandparents, this isn't gonna carry on with me. And if and when I ever have kids, they're not gonna deal with this. I'm gonna deal with it right now. This is what my mother had to do after going to Young Life Camp and discovering the real God for the first time. She had to face the dysfunction in her own home from then on and had to break the chains of addiction and fear and suicidal tendencies and all the things that were there. My oldest daughter-in-law, Sarah, 
you know, she has a similar story how, you know, she didn't want mommy and daddy to get divorced, but when they did and then remarried and then more divorced, more remarriage, and Sarah was, you know, like a ping pong ball going back and forth. She was also watching addictive behaviors, drugs, alcohol, everything, and saying, I, I don't want this for myself. But she didn't know what to do about it until someone at Cornerstone invited her to church and she meets the Lord Jesus and she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she starts to become brave. And she starts to say, if and when I ever get married, if and when I ever have kids, they're not going to deal with this because I'm dealing with it. Now Sarah is raising two of my grandsons and I see her influence on them even now. And when they're older, she can tell them her story. This is when mommy said enough. And this is what I, I've done it for myself, but I also did it for you. All right, back to the story where Gideon says enough. Now, the enemy, uh, at the same time, has crossed over the Jordan and is camping uh, and obviously preparing for some kind of an uh, uh, attack, probably because it's harvest season. And in verse 34, we see that the Spirit of the Lord filled Gideon, and Gideon called together 32,000 Jewish men who were willing to fight the 135,000 Midianites. What's happened to our guy Gideon? He has now become a leader of leaders and he's convinced 32,000 men to take on five to one odds against them to fight these guys. Now, God meets with Gideon. He says, you got too many guys. And Gideon's like, well, wait, five to one? I don't think that's too many. I was thinking you were gonna tell me to go get more, which I'll do. And God's like, oh, no, no, you don't need more. You need less. You see, if you, you could probably win the battle with, with 32,000 guys that are willing to take on 135,000. So we got to reduce those troops because if you won that battle, some of the guys would say, well, we did it. We're awesome. Look at us. And that's exactly what gets you guys in trouble every time. So he says, I want to I uh, reduce the troops. And Gideon's like, how are you going to do it? And he goes, just call a meeting and say, anyone who's afraid to fight can go home. And he's like, all right. So he calls a meeting and says, anybody afraid to fight can go home. And 22,000 guys went home. <laughs> oh, leadership. So now he's got 10,000 guys, but he's got 10,000 guys that are willing to take on now 13 to 1 odds. That's still a pretty brave army. But what does God say? Too many guys. Too many guys. Let me, let me do something here. And God takes him down the stream, and in this interesting way, you can read about it. He narrows it down, and 9,700 men are sent packing, and Gideon is left with an army of 300. And God says, there's your army. Let's get moving. But God says, if you are nervous at all, sneak down into the enemy camp tonight. Just disguise yourself as a Midianite. Sneak down into camp, walk around, and listen to him talk. So he sneaks down into camp, and he overhears a conversation where two of the guys are talking, and one guy goes, oh, I had a terrible dream. It's, it was so real, I think it's a warning from the gods. What was your dream? I dreamed, I dreamt that the, the Israelites came down from the mountains, and they attacked us, and their God... Uh, defeated us, and they were led by this mighty commander named Gideon. And Gideon heard his own name, and first he would have laughed because the guy has never lifted a sword in his life. He's a thresher. <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same. <laughs> but then it just says, Gideon just worshiped because he basically said, I think we're going to beat these guys. They're scared to death of us, and we haven't even fired a shot. He goes back up into the hills, rallies the guys, and says, wake up, wake up, wake up. We're attacking tonight. Surprise attack. The guys are excited. They're ready to roll. They're talking amongst themselves. The Lord has handed the enemy over to us. What are we doing? Gideon says, just copy me. He divides them into three groups of 100. And he says, when I get to the edge of the camp, I'm gonna have a torch and a pitcher and a trumpet. And they're like, well, how are you gonna hold your weapon? 
we're not going to be using weapons. All right. This is new. He says, so you're going to put the torch under the, the pitcher, and there'll be enough air in there to keep it kind of smoldering. And when I tell you to, you're going to bust the torch, or wait, you're going to bust the pitcher, and the torch is going to flame bright, and you're going to blow your trumpet, your ram's horn, your shofar, and then you're going to shout, a sword for the Lord. You guys got it? Got it. Gideon goes down to camp. He goes, no, when I do it, you do it. He goes down to the edge of the camp. He busts his pitcher. They all bust their pitchers. He raises his torch. The torch is all flame. The torch is flame. They blow their trumpet. Ba -ba -ba -ba. Wake up, Midianites. <laughs> I added that part. <laughs> A sword for the Lord. And then they said, and for Gideon. And the guys down in the camp had already heard the name Gideon. So they're like, oh no, he's coming. They wake up. And instead of thinking they're being attacked by 300 men surrounding them, they think they're being attacked by 300 companies of men surrounding them, and the Midians wake up and in the darkness just start attacking each other and killing each other. <laughs> and then they all start running away in terror. Gideon calls for all of Israel and they come down from the hills and they chase them out. And before thing is the thing is over, they have defeated the entire Midianite army. The land was peaceful for 40 years after that as Gideon led. And it all started under a tree next to a smelly wine vat in the shade of idols when God spoke to a fearful young man who had never met him, saying, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I see you, and I will be your new enough. And Gideon just decided to believe that instead of believing his fear. And that's where we're at today. No reason for us to preach three more sermons about fear if you're still deciding to live in fear. And you go, well, I'm not deciding to do it. I just do it. No, you're deciding to do it. Today's the day when you're gonna decide to live by faith. And you're gonna stop letting your fear define you. So I asked you at the beginning of this, what are you afraid of? Now I ask you, is that fear holding you back in any way? Because if it is, it's not God's will for you to continue to allow that fear to be your God. See, that's what's going on here. Your fear is your God. Wow. What do you have to do? You have to tear down those idols. You have to destroy something from your childhood or, or whatever. You know, if that's the case, you gotta get your dad's bulls and just sacrifice them and say he should have done it. Whatever the case, you've got some things to do. You may have some compromise in your own household that has to be cleaned out. And that's actually how the devil's winning in your life. So when will it start? Will it start now or later when you finally agree with me? Or uh, I think now's the day to let God break those chains. And you say, well, that sounds great, but I don't know my next step. You guys are always talking about my next step with Jesus. I'm not gonna take 10 steps out into this thing. I'm willing to take one step. Well, your next step, I just said it. You have to decide who to believe. Believe God or believe your fears. Believe those old tapes that play in your head. I'm not good enough. I'm not significant. I'm not ready, I don't have what it takes. Or you can just say, he's good enough, he's ready, he has what it takes, and for some reason, he wants me on his team. He's a poor judge of character, in my opinion. But if he says, I'm a mighty warrior, I'm gonna start acting like a mighty warrior. It starts by allowing God to speak to you, and I believe he has spoke to many of us through what he has had me say to you. But now, it's your time to respond.
to say, God, make me fearless. Make me brave. Give me courage. And so that's going to be my prayer for you. Uh, one of the things you can do in this process this week is uh, you could put on some, uh, you go to Spotify and find the Cornerstone Fear Playlist. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's uh, front music. Uh, and you could just say, I'm going to listen to this stuff instead of talk radio in my car. I'm going to listen to this stuff as I wake up and have my morning coffee. What I'm watching on the news is scaring me. I'm going to turn it off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lean into what the Bible says. And these worship songs are all full of scriptural truth. Or you could go to the scriptures. A lot of the Psalms are about how God helped David conquer fear. And you could just start reading those Psalms. And you can also pray simple prayers that I'm going to pray over you right now. So I want you to do something right now. Take your hands and put them out like I'm handing you something in a cup. Maybe like I'm pouring something into you. Because my prayer, I'm going to pour courage into your hands. And... Uh, when you feel that my prayer has poured courage into your hands, I want you to take that courage and press it up into your heart and hold it there. And I want there to be so much courage coming into you right now, a baptism of courage, that it will literally just, there won't be room for fear. The fear will just slosh out. And what will fill you this week is faith. Now let me pray for you. Father, I pray that you feel, fill their cups with courage, that they take courage, that they believe what I've said and their actions prove that they believe it. And I pray, Lord, that before they go out and try to do anything brave, that they just allow you to make them brave. And then once they feel brave, that they take steps into the fog of fear, knowing that you're with them. And so, Lord, I pray that you fill their cup with courage and they press that courage into their spirit, into their soul. And that courage ruins those old tapes that play in their mind by soaking those old tapes with faith. That, that we don't try to convince themselves that we are enough, that we are strong. That we're, we just say, God is enough, God is strong, and God is in me. Therefore, with God in me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Cornerstone, take courage. Receive this strength into your soul and take it and wait for God to tell you to do something. Likely, the something he tells you to do will not be huge. It's gonna feel huge to you because you're gonna be stepping up and stepping out. But get ready because over time, he will increase what he has you to do until years later, people are gonna say, how is it that you have so much faith? And it's because you took courage. On a, on a Sunday in May, you said, I am not going to be ruled over by fear any longer. These are idols that I am destroying. And I am going to walk by faith and not by sight. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he make you brave in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.